0: We will go ahead and get started. Um, It's good to see everybody. Uh, It's good to be back here and teaching again. It's been a few weeks. Um, Welcome to a uh, definitely a stone skipping across um, sometimes several weeks worth of waters. Uh, Sort of a a rough summer series that I'm going to do on the last five books of the Bible, hence the title, The End of the Book. Um, uh, The Book of Revelation, as most of us would know, is the last book. In the Bible, 22 chapters, and so we'll start today at Revelation 18. Kind of framing a little bit, um, just to uh, to see what it what it says, what it doesn't say. hence demons on the screen. I thought, well, that's a fair image to bring people in. Um, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord, thank you for um, for this day, for the end of the book. Um, it's such a fantastic uh, book in so many different uh, ways that we would use that word. Um, Clarify it now and give it to us in what you would have us know. Be with us and mark this time as yours. Pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, especially a good-sized good group, a um, group this size, uh, as always, stop me, talk, interact, that sort of thing. What do we know about the book of Revelation? Um, last book in the Bible, uh, what do we know about the book of Revelation? What questions do we have? What what words do you, do you bring with it? Metaphor. Metaphor. Certainly a lot of it you could say is metaphorical, just because it's such fantastic imagery. You know, is it the seven hills that we'll hear today, is it the seven hills of Rome, for instance? And all the numbers, are they, are they symbolic? Are they metaphoric for something? What else?
1: Mm-hmm, the, the, I guess, popular mm-hmm, popular
0: mm-hmm, yeah, it's behind. real hip to really get into what's actually a really small part of the book of Revelation, this whole idea of the millennium, uh, that'll be in Revelation 20, so in, well, whenever we do it um, in a couple of chapters, we'll look at that, and how that's been just extrapolated, and it's one of the views, I mean it's not going to do, well, probably end up being that way. Um... That's one of the ways the book of Revelation is interpreted. What's called a futurist view that mostly Revelation has to do with events yet to come. There's obviously others that say that the book of Revelation was just written for the first century when it was written. And so as soon as uh, uh, the people to whom it was describing at that time died, that everything was kind of a code, that, that the beast would have been you know, such and such or so and so. And then once all that ended, it stopped. Um, that's what most scholars who are writing commentaries, that's the view that they would um, espouse. Uh, another view is called the historicist view, which is to say that that it talks about the whole sweep of human history from the first century forward up to and including the end of the world, the parousia, as it's called, the, uh, the coming again of Christ. The futurist view would be uh, that it has to do with just a very short period of time around the millennium um, probably the most, uh, connected to, uh, Revelation, just because that's the one that really has the cool movies, like the seventh sign. You might remember that with Demi Moore way back when, I used to watch that on cable all the time. Will you die for him? You <laughs> know, no, I'll probably show that sometime. So, um, uh, uh it's worth, it's worth, uh, a laugh. It's, um, the guff, which is not biblical, but anyway, I didn't mean to say all that. That's the futurist view, the whole idea of millennium left behind. Uh, you get into premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, just all sorts of confusing parts. I'm not going to concentrate on that. And then the um, what's the other one called? Typically called the idealist view. Which has to do that uh, that it's metaphorical would be one way to describe that, that, that revelation is dealing with ideas. Um, principles and ideas about who is God um, uh, what's the nature of evil? What's the nature of suffering? What's the nature of hope? Eschatology, the end of things—not um, uh, to be a good, you know—I think it'd be fair to say having some parts of all of that, and allowing that to be what informs our view of revelation. That would be probably the right way forward, rather than saying it's only about the first century or it's only about things for the uh, for the last generation to ever inhabit. The old earth before the new heavens and the new earth are created. Um, so, what else do we know? Help <coughs> me kind of set up where to go in the weeks to come, too. Or what questions do we have? What do we think's in the Book of Revelation? Of
1: came to yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. That's great, Henry. Um, yeah, the, the John, very hard to interpret, very hard to interpret. Um, caught up, as he would say, elsewhere, as Paul would say elsewhere, into a third heaven. Um, uh, John describes spatially going, you know, up and down a lot. I was taken up or then it came down. We'll see that even today. So there's, a, there's this weird amalgam. You've got to ask yourself at several points when you're reading the book. Um, Okay, what perspective are we in right now? Is this an earthly perspective? Because things are coming down. That would be the way it would be described. Or is this a heavenly perspective? And that will be very present today in Revelation 18, where uh, uh, in describing the the great prostitute or the whore of Babylon, as the King James Version describes it, um, uh, there's the the earthly perspective of the laments of the kings and the merchants and all that sort of stuff, whatever that means. Uh, But then the heavenly perspective of rejoice, rejoice, O Jerusalem. It's um, uh, so a lot of visions, um, so we'll we'll have to lean into some of that and say, how do we how do we how do we read the Book of Revelation now? What's what's what are the metaphors? What are the descriptions? What's their intent? Are they primarily uh, to describe visually what actually is coming? Some beast with ten heads and with seven heads, and upon each head are ten horns, and that's what it's going to be. Or is that meant to uh, to create sort of an emotional, um, and obviously this I mean to say that's what I believe, is it, it's intended to create um, an emotional connectedness when it says, and I heard a sound, a sound like rushing waters. Um, it's not that that's what it was, but the emotional um, connectedness uh, of the tumult and the the consummation of just, you know, Pounding waters. If you've been right by a massive waterfall and it's all consuming, and that's what it sounded like. And that, that sort of connection, um, not literally, but in the way that emotively it connects, I think that's the way we will be uh, hearing most of the time. But as soon as you make a principle, there's all these exceptions that probably come through. So it's a, it's a fascinating book. Um, it's a fun book. So before we dive into it, I did think, let's just to, I think probably most of the classes I'll do this, not a, Great connection um, to the text because in some ways I want to use the first parts of the classes to undo, at least some of them as I'm thinking about it, to undo some of what we popularly, popularly think of the book of Revelation. It doesn't actually say that much about heaven. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that much about heaven. Um, doesn't say that much about hell in terms of the population of it and what it's like. There's, if there's any inkling of that, it would be in Jesus in the four Gospels. He's the one who, in fact, talks about hell. You know, I'm about to sort of, you know... Th- put thorns in Jesus to make him very prickly and all that sort of stuff that he's the one sort of the good teacher and the nice guy and all that stuff he's the one going all around talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth and the fiery parts of hell and here's Lazarus and he's down there burning uh, or Lazarus is up there but the rich man Dives is down there burning and wanting you know, just something cool on his tongue that's all Jesus not John not Paul nobody else but we think about demons um Paul talks about them um somewhat in his letters, and then then uh, uh, John does do it. This is an old show, back in the X Files days. Um, the the uh, director of the X Files, guy named Chris Carter, if you remember that back in the '90s. Um, uh, there was a, a show also on Fox called Millennium. That totally dates the show, doesn't it? So remember all that Y2K stuff and everything. I was thinking about that this morning as I was looking at this clip, because we got married right um, in November of '99, and I remember just like it was. It was the millennium, you know. We're like, so is our computer, which didn't have internet yet. Is it going to like blow up or something like that? But what, what strange days. So anyway, this show called Millennium, which which often dealt with spiritual themes, and it's very Screw Tape Letters like these next seven minutes. If you've read the book Screw Tape Letters by C. S. Lewis, where there's a, a senior devil talking to a junior devil, a tempter, on how to best tempt. A, uh, a patient, as C.S. Lewis would call it. Certainly, Chris Carter, whoever wrote this um, this particular episode, had this in mind. Because here's four um, demons are sitting around a donut shop, drinking coffee, eating donuts, talking about how to um, to damn a soul in hell. And it's a seven minute clip. Um, one part of it is uh, it might get a not suitable for work tag. It was on Fox, so it's not that bad. But um, uh, talking about how how dulled we have become, just to the mundane aspects of life. And that is in fact damning. Um, And I wanna connect that to the book of Revelation, which uh, is a thrilling book, actually, as it catches us up into amazing imagery, fantastic uh, language, um, bombastic and confusing characters and realities, the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth dimensions and all that. In some ways, I want to sort of build a theme. How else could the Bible end? I mean, it's got to be fantastic. What if it ended with Jude? It just stopped, you know? But this, it takes us up. And then, of course, to the great just climax, which is Revelation 21 and 22, the consummation of all things, whether it is the new heaven and the new earth that are brought down. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray each, each week, um, to connect into some of that. And through a you know kitschy television show from I don't know 1998 something like that, uh, it begs the question: What what, is, what are these other realities to which revelation does at least um, open up and point? Uh, and this is going to be my summer wreck, In fact, a book called *The God of the Mundane*. It's the only copy we have so far. So if you're interested, um, you can take this copy and buy it at the bookstore um, by a local author. In fact, that uh, that if God The God of Revelation, the God of Genesis, the Lord of of my life, the Lord of your life. If he is anything, he's the God of the mundane, of just the boring grind of nine to five um, for stay-at-home moms, for people that are stuck in dead-end jobs. This this guy used to be a pastor, and then I'm not sure what happened. He he went to work at a bank, um, and he had to start at the bottom. And so he's 40. He's got master's degrees and all that sort of stuff, and he's having to learn how to be a bank teller. And it really turns his life over, uh, and he's just dealing with the mundane, day-to-day, seemingly senseless grind. Is God God of that? And I like his question. It says he has to be the God of the mundane. And revelation brings us to a connectedness of, is God the God of this, this present suffering, this present darkness, this present evil, this present boredom, this present grind of a day-to-day, seemingly nonsensical existence. And this uh, little clip is going to connect us to that. So, seven minutes, have a chance to talk, and then we'll get into the text.
1: The trouble with serial is they're too little. That's not what I meant to kill. No. What did you mean? They're still conspicuous. When people hear about some psycho killer, it can leave them for thinking about the nature of evil, which leads to thoughts about right or wrong. All that thinking can get ugly. Uh-huh. Yeah, you don't want to consider crap like that, eh? You just want to go through the cultural routine of living down on the uh-huh. ice. Right. What do you do to cut this? soul? I don't do squat anymore. They do it all for you. Uh-huh. I'm not sure I'm following it. Mankind has progressed to a point that it's done with history. Where life has been drained of all its enchantment, all you gotta do is sit back and enjoy. <laughs> I mean, I ask you, what evil genius invented the alarm clock? No other creature but man could concoct a device that us on a daily basis their only natural state of happiness. Jesus' evil twin contributed to Susan's fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Other human instruments of logic, the rack, the item made, not a match for their manipulation. <laughs> Used in original. Vanity and like, oh is a superfluous conscripting piece of cloth around their necks for no reason with the women. <laughs> um, I failed to see how any of this leads them to eternal damage. Well, that's the beauty of it. They fail to see it too because they think they're living a so called normal life. And you guys have no idea the torments they'll put themselves to for the sake of such a life. They'll spend a period of every day in a place they can't stand, doing stuff they don't want to do, all in the name of the living. I've seen punishments in hell that's severe. When not at work, every time is spent in servitude, performing many new chores, none of which could be called life-a-time. As a wise devil once said, all roads to hell. You seem to be forgetting one little thing in this method of yours. Sin! I choose to forget. It because you must have this one. <laughs> I mean, they stop committing sins. Just the opposite. <laughs> they sin so often, it's become another part of their routine. Whatever passion for us compelled them to commit such acts has long since passed away. Yeah, so they go. Do it. Take that thing. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. To go to go on. take pleasures. to ruin them if you don't interact with them. Oh, every once in a while I interact with them, but nothing to you. Minor irritations are what you need. And I find the best irritations you as their own man-made laws. It- There. Ah, tell it, hey, what's with this ticket? meter has me run out. Oh. Could this be the same guy that saw No, he wasn't reacting to my essence. All humans look horrified when confronting an authority figure. Hey, did this guy look depressed? What? I read an article about people using this word St. John's Ward to cure depression. <laughs> Remember back in the Middle Ages, humans were using this stuff in famous to see devils? Oh, wives, Ted. <laughs> uh, still, does this guy look like he might be using this St. John's Ward? Really? Yeah, this guy looks like he needed the a vat of this stuff. It doesn't matter what they take. It's not in their nature to see us. Yeah, what do you know about their nature? You don't even know how to damn I just told
0: you. You simply let them go through the routine of living their lives as they see fit. That's enough. Um, So, to damn them, you simply let them go through their lives as they see fit. Um, That always reminds me of the Last line in the book of Judges, um, which says, And there was no king in Israel, and every man did uh, according to what was right in his own eyes. Um, autonomy, um, which literally means law unto oneself. Uh, that's damnation, or at least that's one way to beg this question that Revelation gets into. It's dark in here. Um, of uh, you know, the reality of evil, um, the reality of. Of uh, perdition, um, uh, which then of course begs judgment, wrath, uh, which is the gateway to grace, um, uh, redemption, restoration, reconciliation, um, renewal—all these themes, pretty massive themes. If God is the God of any part of that, He's the God of the mundane. You're know, sitting there in a you know gas station booth at two in the morning. Um, he's got to be lord over that. As much as he is, you know, the middle of, um, you know, an ecstatic spiritual experience or a transcendent experience and receiving, you know, the the communion or something else like that. So any thoughts before we connect with the text and really kind of dive in and just just do a little bit of text work each week and see where it goes? So this book, The God of the Mundane, kind of connects a little bit. um, It's not on Revelation at all, but guy named Matt Redmond, Matthew, Matthew Redmond. Um, thoughts about this anything else to damn others you simply let them go through their life as they see fit Autonomous. well then you can turn um, go ahead and get a bible we're going to read the whole of, of revelation 18 um Y'all need one, Stokes. Um, and to think a little bit about. You need thank
1: a you.
0: Of reading glasses. We do need a basket of reading glasses. I bet we have some in lost and found. Um, we have a lot of umbrellas and reading glasses, I, I think, in right our front sir. So. Um, a word about the images and the symbols and all that. We're not going to go too far in that. I do think there's a lot there. Um, obviously, with time is running here. Uh, numbers huge, huge in the Bible, especially big in Revelation uh, at a basic level. We can think about numbers uh, one, three, five to an extent, seven, twelve. You start there and you got most of it. Um, one unity. There is one God, one Lord, one faith, one one baptism um, through Christ alone. So anytime you see the number one, you're in the presence of deity. Three, Trinity. Um, the unity of, of, of one and three and the way those come together. Seven, obviously the number of perfection. On the seventh day, God rested, and so that number becomes important throughout the scriptures all the way through. And then 12, um, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, um, the 12 nations. And then you get to, uh, to multiples thereof. 12 times 12, so you have the 144,000 Uh, who uh, from all languages, nations, tribes, and peoples that that John sees, I think it's in Revelation 14, um, which we're not going to do. But those are the numbers. Um, There'll be some other ones that come in there, but basically it's that. Um, Revelation is fantastic in all the uses of that word, like fantastic, like wow, this is really cool, but also fantastic as in phantasmal. Uh, Like, you know, have, have no idea. This is an utterance on the other side and, uh, and it, it's, it's, it approaches a way of describing the indescribable, of making concrete the ineffable and the abstract. So it plays in there with incarnation, where the eternal becomes finite. Uh, and how do we do that with words? And so the, the impression, like I said earlier, it's much like the Song of Songs, which I got some of this out. The impression, it's not literal, although there's some great art. We'll probably see some William Blake and some others. Uh, as they've described the beasts, or the uh, the um, uh, the redemption of the New Jerusalem and, and what it's like, you know, where the city is paved with the streets are paved with gold, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, John, like um, Solomon and others, is an artist here, um, or really, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. That's in the title, so we can talk about the revelation singular. It's Christ's revelation to us that which always is is now being revealed it was hidden but it was there and now it's being made known um, revelation in Greek is apocalypto where we get the word apocalypse so you know the revelation now um, this 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 up where we get the word the idea about an apocalypse which is a uh, thunderous tumultuous frightening um, event where everything changes when apocalypse when the apocalypse comes um, you know the the Kubrick? Stanley Kubrick? Is that him? Um, his movie. Uh, it's a change. I once was, but now am. Uh, that which was in me has now been revealed. Um, uh, the words that John uses to describe the indescribable, they, they create an effect on us. So a little bit of fun with the Song of Songs, for instance, the Song of Solomon, the love song. Um, I have a it was an old magazine called the Wittenberg Door. Does anybody remember that? It's kind of a sardonic um, Christian magazine, which was great fun. It was like a for old young life workers. They would get a copy of this, and it'd be like you know, a copy of a you know pornography or something like that. And I'm like, oh, can we do this? You know, because it's just real sort of Christian irony and all that. And so they had an image. I remember once somebody wrote uh, drew an image of the um, the bride in the Song of Solomon because using words to describe the Emotion that the that the husband feels if you draw her out it's pretty funny something like uh, you are a mare among Pharaoh's chariots my beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engeti your eyes are doves our couch is green your hair is like a flock of goats I tell Mamie that all the time and she loves it so <laughs> um, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes uh, your your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate your two breasts are like fawns. I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick with love. Um, and so obviously, I mean, your, your breasts are like fawns. It's like, oh, well, thanks. But you know, just the uh, well, you know, words, emotional connectedness. Um, the uh, I am sick with love, and so I'm fumbling over ways to try to write to you, my beloved how I feel about you, what my experience of you approaches. Um, how do I describe something so indescribable as love? And that's what's in the Song of Songs. And that is one one hundredth of what the uh, Apostle John was given uh, by uh, Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in his revelation. So that's how we approach some of these fantastic images, or at least that's how I'm inviting us to consider that. So, thoughts on that before we go into Revelation 18? <clears throat> you can look back in Revelation 17, um, which is just as far back as we're going to go. Uh, Babylon. Um, we're going to be reading about the the, the the prostitute, the great prostitute, Babylon, the whore of Babylon. Uh, Babylon is the um, metaphor, um, the description going back and strips in strips and Old Testament imagery uh, of of the culmination of civilization and its discontents, of all the hopes, the dreams, uh, of, of the progress of civilization. So it begs all the idols of power and prestige and position. Um, that Babylon, as the, scene, as, the, as the pinnacle of human progress, this is all going to be undone. And Babylon, <coughs> this, great, this great prostitute, as, as, uh, as John describes her, who gave herself over to sexual immorality in exchange for the accolades of the kings and the merchants and the princes, uh, is going to be abandoned by them and really left desolate and uh, uh, scorned. And they will stand and not be sad for her, but that they no longer get to enjoy her. It's a really stark, and I think, realistic image of... Uh, the nature, often of a real, in a base way, of of some human interactions some human relationships, and so this is this is Babylon, and just a couple of verses to kind of set that up from Revelation Revelation um, 17 verse 5 and 6. If you want to go back and look at that, and on her head Babylon, the great um, the great prostitute, and on her forehead was written the name of mystery. So this was the name given, and that's a common theme. There's always names being written. On foreheads, or there's even one where uh, uh, we'll look at this where Jesus has a name written on his inner thigh that he alone knows as he's coming down on a white horse at the end of all time. Is't that fantastic? I mean, they're just like, what in the world? so um, so names are a big deal. on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk. But the blood of the saints, the blood, the martyrs of Jesus. So just this imagery, drunk on the blood of the saints, on the martyrs of Jesus. Um, uh, Babylon, the great mother of the the earth's abominations. I mean, it just impregnates this image of this woman riding in on the beast. And the beast is uh, uh, not Satan, but sort of his minions, these guys, sort of in the world. And the two are fused, but not to be... um, Confused is the same because the beast is going to leave her. And so that's just us and all of our hopes and dreams sort of left to be exposed in the final judgment of God as wanting and as alone and as desolate. So, I mean, it really does sort of end time. I mean, that's where we're headed with the end of the book. And in verse 15 through 18, And the angel said to me, John, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Uh, For God has put into her, into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion, over the kings of the earth. And so the disunity of evil, even as you saw a little bit here, where they start arguing and all that, evil is never unified. Evil is always utilitarian. It will eat itself and any other part for its own gain. Um, And here, uh, the woman, you could personify this, she thought that the beast loved her. And the beast didn't love her. The beast was using her and he's just so ready to leave her alone, desolate and naked, and then to devour her. And to burn her remains and let the smoke rise, and that's what we're going to read in, uh, in Revelation 18. Pretty, pretty jarring stuff in some ways. So thoughts there before we, we jump in Let the power of the Scripture, just kind of speak. So, questions, comments, kind of get an idea, a feel of what Babylon is—the great prostitute, the great whore, um, the harlot. Um, these are all ways that she's been described, primarily with the King James. Those, those, uh, those great, those great. Words, um, So Revelation 18, uh, starting at verse 1, uh, Babylon must fall. Why? So that the new Jerusalem can, uh, can come down from the new heavens. That's where we're headed in Revelation 21. So after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven and having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. So now revelation, the earth was made bright. All things are, uh, are being revealed. And he called out with a mighty voice, this angel, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This echoes Isaiah as well as Jeremiah. Uh, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. So what was once great is now in a dystopian sort of image absolutely just a haunt for, uh, uh, for poltergeist. Um, for all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion and of her sexual immor- immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice. am not sure who this is. Probably an angel, but maybe Christ. Um, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. That's also a repeated refrain from from the Old Testament. Come out, come out, come out. And here's the last invitation. Come unto me, all ye who travail and are heavy laden. Come out of her one final time, one final plea. Come out of her, my people, for the final judgment is about to be exercised. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. It's a chilling phrase. God has remembered her iniquities. Finally and fully his judgment and the wrath of God is being visited here. What's happening? Fairness. Finally, what the world and Babylon have operated on for so long is actually coming true, where what comes around actually goes around and it comes back, and her abominations, as it says, are going to be visited upon her. So it's a chilling phrase where God has remembered her iniquities, in great contrast to the way that he describes Israel Um, In so many other places in the Old and the New Testaments, that God has cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Here, in the final judgment of all things, as time itself is being consummated and pulled together and sewn up, uh, God says, I remember Babylon, the great prostitute. I remember her iniquities. Um, Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double... For her deeds, double mix, a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning. I shall never see the blind, um, the blindness of laziness and. Uh, of the laziness that easy living gives. There's that judgment on that, of the laxity. That's the word I was coming at. The, the blindness of, of laxity and inattentiveness. Um, hearkening back again to Jesus, as he says in Mark 13, watch, don't be caught unawares, um, for the, the, uh, the Son of Man shall come again as a thief in the night. You don't know when, you don't know where, but what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and Babylon is getting caught here. For this reason, her plagues will come back to her in a single day. That's how fast the judgment is going to be swift and complete. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So that's the end of part one. That's the heavenly perspective of the judgment on Jerusalem. And now three earthly laments about her. Um, And then the kings of the earth, to start with the powers and the dominions and the principalities and the kings. And then the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. And they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, and just as a quick aside, never thought about this until I read it a couple of days ago in preparation for this class. I connected with Peter here. connected with Peter when he... um, Uh, already grief-stricken about Christ when he stood far off but near enough to see Christ when he denied him the third time. And as Luke says, and when he said, I do not know the man at that moment, Jesus looked at Peter and fixed his gaze upon him. And Peter went away and wept. You know, there's this sense of the king, not really, um, it's not the same sort of piece, but if you want to call it psychologically, it's just connected with Peter and just the... uh, the deep despair of an accurate judgment on, on, on who he is and who I am and my very base, my, 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 my bottom nature. Uh, they will stand far off in fear of torment and say, Alas, alas, the great city, you mighty city Babylon, in a single hour your judgment has come. Your crisis has come is the word in Greek. And the merchants of the earth, um, second uh, lament, will weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of cinnamon wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, And slaves, that is human souls. What is this? It's an inventory list of everything that was going in and out of the port. Just all of that is being called up and burned. Um, There is nothing and no thing that's going to stand outside this final judgment. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, and the best that we could offer the merchants would say, and purple and scarlet adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour, again, complete and swift, in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And then all the shipmasters, the last of the earthly remnants, and all the seafaring men, the sailors and whose trade is in the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. And then verse 20 goes back to an earthly uh, perspective. Those were three, um, to a heavenly perspective. The three earthly remnants Now, as we are sort of laid bare, uh, it turns and says, Rejoice, rejoice. Over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment uh, for you against her. It's illegal. He's given judgment, vindication. The verdict has come down, and it's in your favor. He has given judgment for you against her. And then a mighty angel took up a great stone, uh, took up a stone like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. And it will be found no more word of great hope for all who are suffering here Um, in the first century. All who are suffering now, this word of hope that says, you see this stone? It's as if all of Babylon, and all the iniquity and all the suffering of the world is like this. When I throw it into the sea and it goes to the bottom, never to be found again. Um, uh, Jeremiah did the same thing as he threw a stone into the Euphrates River. Um, and, uh, and John picks that up, except now it's a great millstone, which will sink to the depths, never to be found, uh, as the judgment will come in a single hour, complete and swift, vindicating uh, the children of God. And the sound of, now a list of what's not not to be heard anymore, the sound of harpists and musicians, of fruit play, flute players and trumpeters, you will uh, will be heard in you, second person speaking to Jerusalem, uh, to Babylon, excuse me, no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And now back to the third person. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth." So it's, uh, it's mid-sentence, it's going to finish that judgment when um, we resume in two weeks. But the, uh, the beginning of the end uh, is judgment as the wrath of God, which is in fact good news hidden, where there will be a decisive and full accounting uh, where the grace of God and the restoration of all things shall be given to those whose name are written in the book of life. Um, And that's where we're headed uh, in two weeks um, uh, with Revelation 19. So let me um, me pray. Lord, uh, take these fantastic words and uh, allow them to reap a harvest 30, 60, or 100-fold. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.